haven't even been able to see you since I went to Haiti. And uh, Jesse and I went. Raise your hand there, Jesse. I think he's told the whole church about it. So this is probably going to be warm leftovers. But let me, I'm, I'm holding up this duck because this was hand-carved by a Haitian uh, there in Haiti. And, and uh, I was given two of these, and it's beautiful. And I was going to ask uh, the ushers or somebody to take this one and the other one back there at the connection point. And I want you to go back there when church is over and look at how beautiful this is, how beautifully they did it. When we uh, got there, I was invited to take part in a crusade. And I have always wanted to preach in crusades, and I'm going to do more of it. Is that okay with you? I'm not leaving. I'm just going to sneak away and preach in crusades some. Are you here for the duck? You going to shoot it? All right. And so Jesse and I flew in, and uh, as you came in, you saw these beautiful mountains and uh, just a, a beautiful scene. But when you landed, whole different story, abject poverty, uh, heartbreaking poverty. And we uh, were met at the airport, and I say airport, it was, wasn't DFW. This was a, a very difficult uh, airport. It was uh, right on the wall, a big painted mural was a witchcraft scene, uh, uh, sacrificing in a voodoo kind of a ceremony. Uh, that was one of their murals. And so we went to the compound. Jay Threadgill, who's going to be with us, it looks like in June, uh, has done an incredible job. He and his uh, lovely wife, Linda, uh, just a beautiful job, incredible job, because in the middle of this poverty, everything in Haiti is skinny. You see the bones in everything in Haiti. The birds were skinny. Dogs emaciated. Um, the people littering these little narrow streets, just selling what goods they had. I think the average income was like 260 a year. And all this incredible poverty. But folks, I got to tell you, when we went to the crusade that night, here were, it started out the first night, there were about 30,000 people. And you know, they had been taught the songs we sing. And this was a gathering of believers as much as it was an outreach to the lost. Christians had come from all over the country and different parts of the world to take part in an alternate um, Mardi Gras. And they offered a Christian alternative. And so here were 30,000 people singing, this is the air I breathe. And I long for you, and I'm desperate for you. And i got to tell you, as I looked at this crowd the first night, I didn't preach the first night, I preached the second night we were there. Um, all these people with their hands lifted, these, these African-American people living in such poverty for the most part, and the Spirit of God moved in a way that I have not felt that since the 1970s. I mean, I feel the Spirit of God all the time. And, and I worship all the time. I worship all the time privately. Uh, I, I sing and worship all the time. That's one of the ways that I touch God. And so here um, were these people. And I wish you could have seen 30,000 people with their hands raised. Little kids who had no future if God does not deliver them. The average life age of a man was 42. Of a woman was 32. 50% mortality rate 
50% of children don't make it. And here they are in all this poverty, worshiping God. And I looked out there and something happened to me. The second night, it happened even stronger. I was going to preach, and I did preach, and there were 40,000. 40,000 people, as far as your eye could see. The video's coming, and I'm going to show it to you. But 40,000 people worshiping God. And uh, I looked at that, and the Holy Spirit seemed to say to me, See, I'm preparing the bride of Christ all over the world. Whether they're poor, whether they're rich, I'm preparing the bride of Christ all over the world. And when you see it, it's just going to blow your mind. And it touched me. If I had not been preaching, I would have wept. When I looked down, I saw these, these little kids, just these little kids that live in, that live in mud huts or metal, metal lean-tos that come out of hills. And the, the door on their little home is, is a blanket. And they scoop water out of what's called the, the river of fire. And why is it called the river of fire? Because they burn their trash in it. And the trash on fire floats down the river, and at night the river glows. And these little kids are down there with a bucket getting their daily water out of this river of fire in little rags. And yet, when we met like this, they, were having, they had their hands. All they have is Jesus. That's all they have. And their hands were lifted. They were crying. And I tell you, it touched me and asked me if I preached. Did I preach, Jesse? And, and I'll tell you what I preached. I preached Christ and Him crucified. Let me tell you something. If the gospel you preach will not preach in a third world country, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I just got up there and told them they were in sin, that they were born in sin, and Jesus came to take away our sin and we gave the invitation. I got the report, uh, Jesse, that 1,630 people gave their lives to Jesus in this crusade. And it was just wonderful. And got to speak to about 800 of the leaders on Tuesday morning. And there I sensed the Spirit of God like I have not sensed it in a long time. Let me tell you something, folks. The Holy Spirit is moving all over the world. And I don't know how I can express that to you any any more strongly than just to say it again, the Spirit of God is moving all over the world. Right now He's moving. He's moving in India. He's moving in Africa. He's moving in Haiti. He is moving all over the world. And He's preparing the bride of Christ. You know why? Because I believe soon and very soon that trumpet is going to blow and Jesus is going to return. He's going to return. And so it was a real blessing. Then I'll, I'll tell you more about it when I get the video and can flash it up there for you because it's amazing. But then we came back, went to Colorado. And in Colorado, as Kathy was sharing with you, we, we have some friends. Uh, what, uh, he's an attorney. And uh, he's done very, very well for himself, multimillionaire guy. And they own a house in Colorado. So they called us and said, hey, we're just going to send you the key. I, we were thinking we were going to San Antonio for about three days. And out of nowhere, this call comes. We're going to send you the key. You go on up to Colorado, to our place in Pagosa Springs, and just stay to your heart's content. Free. <laughs> now, that's God. 
And so we went and drove up there, did, did the 12-hour deal, driving on the highway. Boy, that was a haul, but you start seeing these beautiful mountains, this incredible creation of God. And uh, so we found the house, and the house is nestled in this little uh, kind of a, with mountains all around it, this little glen, this little valley, and uh, other little houses, log homes around it. Beautiful two-story home they sent us to. Uh, virtually brand new. And now Kathy can't ski and she can't snowmobile because of her back. So somebody had to do it. (laughs) So we rented a, I rented a snowmobile. Now you got to understand, I love that kind of thing. I rented a snowmobile. If you don't know what a snowmobile is, it's like a snow motorcycle. And these things will go 70 across the snow. So I'm looking through this brochure, and the brochure says, family tour. I said, oh, that sounds boring. They're going to go into a little meadow of snow and just go in circles. I'm not doing that. And I saw adventure tour. I said, that's mine. I call, I said, I want to be on the adventure tour. <clears throat> okay, we got you down. Well, we showed up. There was this guy there. I'm, I'm just going to tell you the truth. He had no teeth. I said, that's not a good sign. <laughs> I wonder how that happened. And so I went down there and we were the first ones there. So I got to go down and talk to this guy. He said, man, today there's some deep powder. I said, oh, that, that's good. He said, well, he said, now there's going to be a lot of turnovers today. And I said, turnovers, what do you mean? He said, oh, you know, you lose control and you fall over and we got to come get you out. And I said, out of what? Out of what? I was picturing myself sinking into, you know, 10 foot drifts or something. He said, it's going to be rough, but we're going to have a good time. Man, I crawled back to the car. I said, Kathy, I don't know about this. Let's, let's pray. Because he didn't have any teeth. And I wondered if it was one of those times where they had to come get him out. So, yeah, and then when I called, he said, now, don't worry, because we bring EMTs with us. That means emergency medical technicians. And I said, you know, Kathy, I think I'd just like to drive around and look at the snow. But I said, no, I came to have fun. So I got in this snowmobile. It's big. This snowmobile, it's big. And I saw the speedometer went all the way to 100 on a snowmobile. So I'm thinking, well, you know, if I, I, said with, I said with Esther, if I perish, I perish. I came to have fun. So we took off. And I'm going to tell you folks something. It was so much fun. Five people dropped out before it was over. A guy and his family, his kids. The kids didn't even like it. But I was having the time of my life. We went all the way up this mountain. Now I'm going to tell you what happened. No, it, it's good. It's all good. I, I still have my teeth. Yeah. But we, we went all the way up this mountain. And when the family, with the teenagers dropped out, our guide seemed to feel that he could just cut loose. He said, well, now we're going we're gonna to pick up our speed a little bit. I said, all right, here we go. I had a helmet on. If you guys could see me, you wouldn't know that it was me. I, had, I was fully geared up. 
motorcycle helmet in case I hit a tree. I was the only one with a motorcycle helmet on. Kathy said, you're not going without a motorcycle helmet. We need your brains. So I had the helmet on, had shades on, had something, scarf over my face. I was decked out in all the snow gear. I mean, I was ready to roll. We got all the way up the top of this mountain, and he started going fast. I'm right behind him. Before I know it, I see him jump up, and he starts yelling, looking over this way. I looked over that way, and five of the remaining people had gotten off from behind him and had gotten lost in the snow. (laughs) I still had my teeth, and I was still behind him. I saw them. I watched them disappear. And so he had to go down and get three snowmobiles, one at a time, out of the snow. I mean, these people were basically saying, with Chevy Chase, are we having fun yet? But I was. By the time we got back on, he's really going quickly. And I lagged along, got pretty far behind him on purpose because I wanted just to look around. I came to the top of a summit. I was right on the Continental Divide right on it, skiing down it. Now, I'm going to tell you, all before me was this incredible scene, breathtaking. It was like looking at a postcard, these mountains, this beautiful view. And I hit this summit alone. And the Holy Spirit just nudged my heart. And he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. And when he said that, you know what I knew? He was talking about this. He said, I'm going to bless you. And I said, well, I'll take that. I had a moment with God up there. And he said, I mean, I'm really going to bless you. And I want you to get ready for it. And I want you to know that it's coming. I'm up there. And what I know that it meant is harvest of people, reaching people. He was telling me that even though times are dark out there, within churches that are looking to him, he's going to bless us. And that means he's going to bless you. Because if I get blessed, you get blessed. We all get blessed together. And you know what I want you to expect? I want you to expect in these, even these tough times, that God is going to bless you. And God is going to bless us all together. And we're going to see the hand of God in the days to come. I believe that Jesus is so near to coming back. Now, I know you've heard that all these years. Preachers have said that all through the centuries. But those preachers could not point to the prophetic signs that we can. And I believe that Jesus is near even at the door. I, sometime soon, I'm going to go into a little bit of Bible prophecy, and I'm going to share with you some of the major things that are happening right now in our world that are fulfillment of Bible prophecy and that point to the coming again of Jesus Christ. I want to know if any of you believe Jesus is coming Amen. back again. Amen. And I want to talk to you... The subject is Conquering Heartbreak Hill. 
And I'm going to tell you what that means in just a moment. But let's stand for the reading of the Word. And I'm going to tell you what I believe we're going to need in the days to come. I'm going to put a key in your hand today. I'm going to put a key in your hand. It's the key to survival. It's the key to staying intact spiritually. Because, can I say it to you today, church? The world's coming unraveled. But he who has a worn-out Bible probably isn't. Go home, pray about that, think about that. Let's read the verse. Look what he says. Have you not known, Isaiah talking here, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God? This is Isaiah 40, verse 28. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Now preach to me, read this with me. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Now, we're not done. Even the young people shall faint and be weary. And the young men, the strongest of the strong, will utterly fall. Now preach to me again. But those who wait on the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Give the Lord a hand of praise today. Thank you, Lord. Now let me pray for you before you're seated. Father, thank you that you are the God of strength, and I pray that you will help us to be strong in the days that are coming. For, Lord, we know that a great blessing is going to be upon our church. And, Lord, we thank you that we're going to see many, many, many people saved, delivered, healed, brought into the kingdom of God before the return of Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you better perk up and listen, you're going to need this. I tell you, even on vacation, I don't believe there's any vacation from God. I had some wonderful times in the Word. Matter of fact, spending time with God on vacation is what gives you rest. That's what rests you. But now, I want you to notice, first of all, that Isaiah tells us something about God that we need to understand. God never gets tired. God never tires and God never faints. Now, you know what that tells us? God is not like us. God is not like you and me. And I believe that we can be God's friend, and I believe that God is compassionate. There are many, many ways that we are like God. But you know what, church? God is not like us. God is not like us. Isaiah wants us to understand that his strength is inexhaustible. God never says, well, I'm tired. God never says, I'm just worn out. God never says that because God is not like us. His strength inexhaustible. He doesn't weaken. He doesn't falter. He doesn't faint. He does not wear down. How many of you ever felt like you wore God out? You ever feel that way? Or you look at this world, you say, boy, this this world must wear God out. No, God is not like you and me. Flesh gets tired, but God's not flesh. The prophet Isaiah is assuring God's people, and I want you to know today that 
Our God is always in a position of victory. He is never defeated. He's never worn down. He's never worn out. And Isaiah is warning us about, here's a real fancy theological word, anthropomorphize. You know what anthropomorphize means? It means you place onto God human characteristics. Or you bring God down to your level. And when you do that, you're anthropomorphizing God. And the Bible says we're not to bring him to our level, but he is to bring us to his level. Now, we're never God, but we can be like God. Amen? He says, Isaiah says to the people, haven't you heard this? Don't you understand this? God never gets tired. Now, later in the chapter, he says to them again, Isaiah says, To whom then can you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? There isn't one. You can't compare God to a human being because he's not like us. Jesus clarified this when Jesus said, God is spirit. And that's why those who worship him must worship him in spirit like we did today. When you worship the Lord like we did today, in the Spirit, with the Holy Ghost anointing it, and you're worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus said, that's what God is looking for. Why do we do that? Because our God is a spirit. Now, look around you. Everything you see will one day melt with a fervent heat. Everything you can see, taste, hear, touch, smell, it's all going to pass away. But you know what lives forever? That which is spirit. And God is spirit. And you have a spirit inside of you. You have a soul inside of you. It's the invisible that will never die. And so say with me, my God never gets tired. Isn't that good news? Now here's what we need to get from this. This fact about God is meant to encourage us. That's why Isaiah was telling the people, I want to encourage you. Our God never tires. The psalmist declared that he neither slumbers nor sleeps. God isn't asleep. God watches you all night long. God knows exactly what you're dreaming. He knows exactly what you're going through. He never needs to lay down and rest. He never needs to sleep. He never needs to take a break. God doesn't. God is energy. He is strength. And it never fades. It never falters. There is no shadow of change or turning in God. He is our strength. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen. Now that tells you and me that 24-7, God is willing and able to work mightily on our behalf. 24-7. I want you folks to get ready to see the strength of God released. God never gets tired. Now, the good news is, Isaiah says, since he never gets tired, here's another good thing about your God. He shares that strength with the weak. How many of you have ever felt weak? How many of you have ever felt weak this week? Did you feel weak this week? How many of you felt weak today? Truth be told, you woke up and you said, Lord, is it already that time? <laughs> Kathy woke up and said, we're off vacation, aren't we? And I said, yeah. She said, I feel blue. I said, it's going to be all right. I was ready to preach, tell you the truth, but she's, she's still kind of back there. But God's strength is going to resurrect you, Kathy. 
He shares his strength with the weak. He gives his strength to the weak. And that's us. Paul said, in my weakness, he is made strong. Why? Because the weaker you feel, the stronger God is. When you don't feel you can take another step, God is he who resurrects from the weak and the dead. He gives power to the weak, Isaiah said, and strength to the powerless. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. God gave Israel this promise of strength. Let me give you a little history here real quickly. When did God give the children of Israel this promise that God never got tired and he shared that strength? When did he tell them this? Before they were taken off into captivity into Babylon. They were about to go off into a 70-year captivity. They were slipping off into the darkest hour of their life. And Isaiah is telling them how to stay intact. Even in the darkest hour of their life, they haven't yet been taken off. The Babylonians have not yet come and put them in chains. They have not yet been taken to a strange land where they can't sing the Lord's song. And Isaiah says, let me tell you something about God. I'm preparing you for your tough times, Israel. I want you to understand that you're God, no matter what you're going through. Don't put that on God. When you feel weak, don't say he must be weak because your God is strong, even though you are weak. And I'm telling you, children of Israel, that your God shares his strength with the weak. Here's what he was telling them. This is going to be tough. Even the youth are going to faint and grow weary. But you must learn and those who do learn to wait on the Lord are going to experience renewed strength. Church, I want you to know, we're going to experience some times where you better know how to get a hold of God. And that's okay. I'm not here to make you afraid. I'm here to make you glad. Because this preacher is expecting great things from God. Our nation's extremity is going to be God's opportunity. But he's saying to them, I'm telling you, I'm giving you a key for survival in the tough times. He said, they that wait upon the Lord are going to renew their strength. Now, in the Boston Marathon, there's a legendary obstacle. If you run that race, there's a legendary obstacle that all the runners know about. Starting at mile 13. They've got to make it up a number of hills, and they know those hills are coming at mile 13. But at mile 19, the exhausted runner encounters Heartbreak Hill, the longest hill in the race. And let me tell you what makes Heartbreak Hill Heartbreak Hill. What makes it even worse is that around mile 18 or 19, right before you get to Heartbreak Hill, just before encountering it, these world-class runners who are in tip-top shape hit the wall. Now, hitting the wall means that their bodies have become depleted of glycogen, stored in the muscles, have replaced it with lactic acid, and are screaming for oxygen. When you hit the wall, when you hit the wall on Heartbreak Hill, you feel like you're going to die. Everything begins to fade into oblivion. You're not focused on anything but the next step. Heartbreak Hill at mile 19 tests the runner at the very core of their ability to endure. 
Heartbreak Hill. You make it over Heartbreak Hill, you can finish the marathon. Can I tell you the truth today that life is not a straight line. Life is not without hills. It has its ups and, up, ups and downs. And also, life has heartbreak hills. Life has heartbreak hills. On heartbreak hill, inside of you, within yourself, you feel like you can't take another step. Anybody ever been on heartbreak hill here today? You feel like you can't take another step. That energy and that strength and that joy that you used to have with God way back when seems a million miles away on Heartbreak Hill. You didn't know Heartbreak Hill was coming. Nobody prepared you for Heartbreak Hill. You did not know there was such a thing. You were told when you got saved, everything was going to be rosy and peachy and you were going to heaven and hallelujah, glory to God, kumbaya. But then all of a sudden, all hell broke loose in your life. A relationship falls apart. Your money falls through. A job falls through. Your health falls through. Something happens. And before you know it, you're at mile 19. And you're going up heartbreak hill. That's what Isaiah was preparing the children of Israel for. Their own heartbreak hill. On heartbreak hill. Hill, everything in you wants to quit, wants to put up the white flag, and wants to walk away. Anybody ever feel that way here today? Or am I talking to angels? Your mind screams, check out. You've given it your best shot. Go home. Forget it. Forget this faith stuff. Forget this God stuff. Forget this church stuff. Forget this Bible stuff. Where was God when you hit this heartbreak hill? Oh, God was right there. Heartbreak Hills test what we believe, what we have learned, and what we are made of. And Heartbreak Hills come for a purpose in God. And you know what the purpose is? All the weaknesses and all the cracks in our character come to the fore on Heartbreak Hill. And you know why that happens to you and me? Because God is wanting to make us like Jesus. And whether or not you want to be like Jesus, if you're a child of God, you might as well go on and submit because that's where you're headed. God has determined before he laid the foundations of the world to make you like Jesus. That means he wants you to love like him. He wants you to think like him. He wants you to walk like him. He wants you to see people the way he sees people. He has made up his mind that you and I are going to be like Jesus. And so heartbreak hills come along. All of a sudden, there it is, looking at us, looming in front of us. And we're already tired. How does he expect me to make it up this hill? How can I possibly do it? Not by might and not by power, but by the Holy Ghost. Matter of fact, you're not only going to learn some things about you on Heartbreak Hill, but you're going to learn some things about God on Heartbreak Hill. Do you know the Bible is filled with uh, stories of famous Bible characters who honor their own Heartbreak Hill? Peter hit Heartbreak Hill in front of a little peasant girl when he caved under fear and denied Christ three times. Heartbreak Hill. You think it wasn't hard to climb back up after that when Simon Peter denied the Lord, the one who had been called, tapped by God to be the preacher of the gospel, sat there in the first things out of his mouth. He denied Jesus Christ. He had to climb back up that hill. He had to climb Heartbreak. The Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. Elijah hit Heartbreak Hill. 
As he fled from Queen Jezebel after calling fire down from heaven, he ran from one lone woman, ran into the wilderness, got under a juniper tree, and on a heartbreak hill, he prayed, Lord, it's enough now. Take me home. I've had all this fun I can stand. Thank you for all the miracles. I'm ready for my mansion in glory. Jacob hit Heartbreak Hill when he cried out in despair. Everything in the world is against me. Ever feel that way? Am I talking to real people here today? Everything is against me. Paul was straining up Heartbreak Hill while ministering in Asia. And he openly confessed to the Corinthian church that he had despaired even of life. This happens to believers. This happens to people who name the name of Christ. All of a sudden, you're in a pressure cooker. All of a sudden, the the, the going is tough and it's getting tougher. And you don't know what in the world is going on. Paul said, we despaired of life. If God hadn't seen us through it, we despaired of even staying alive. King David was huffing and puffing up Heartbreak Hill when he wrote these words, Save me, Lord. Save me for your mercy's sake. Do not let me fall into the hands of my enemies. Heartbreak Hill. But on the other side of Heartbreak Hill, he wrote these words, I would have lost heart unless I had believed. I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let me tell you something, folks. If you're climbing up Heartbreak Hill, or if you do and when you do one day, I want you to remember that the same God that carried David over and carried Moses over and carried Abraham over and carried the prophets over and carried the first century believers over, that same God is in you and he will carry you over. And you remember even the Lord Jesus Christ encountered Heartbreak Hill in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Lord, my God, my God, if this cup can be removed from me, remove it. But if not, not my will, but thine be done. And he sweated, as it were, great drops of blood. That was his Heartbreak Hill. Now, let me give you a word of comfort about this. Peter assures us we are not to view Heartbreak Hills as strange things. So we have a tendency to look at somebody who's going through Heartbreak Hill say, what'd you do? Where'd you sin? Where was your confession? I hate that. I hate that. Don't say to me, that's a bad confession. If I'm going through trouble, don't be a Job's counselor to me. We say, oh, they must have done something wrong. Look at that. They're in Heartbreak Hill. Look at all that they're going through. What did they do wrong? Well, sometimes you did do something wrong, and that's why you're suffering. But other times, you're seeking God. You're after Him to the best of your ability. Your heart is right, and you encounter a trial. You encounter a trouble, and it's Heartbreak Hill. You're huffing. You're puffing. You're trying to keep it together. You're trying to keep your walk with God intact, and you don't know why all these things are happening. Peter said, don't say, well, this is strange. This is weird. This is not of God. He said, beloved, don't be amazed and bewildered at the fiery ordeal which is taking place to test your quality. To test your quality. It's taking place to test your quality. As though something strange, unusual, and alien to you and your position were befalling you. I have to read to you the Message Bible here. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. 
Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. I like that. Isaiah is saying to the people of God, your God never gets tired. And he shares that strength with you. And he gives them the secret to not just surviving, but thriving. Now that's going to be my, I'm going to say it, my confession over this church and over you and me. We're not going to just survive. We're going to thrive. I'm going to say that again because some of you need to grab hold of that and say, I'm going to make, make that my own. We're not going to just survive. We're not going to crawl in here on Sunday mornings and try to get our hands half masked and praise God. We're going to walk in with a skip in our step and a gleam in our eye and a smile on our face with the strength of God flowing up out of us. And we're going to, we're going to thrive. He said, here's how you're going to survive and thrive. Listen carefully to me, church. There is something you're going to have to do. And so am I. You're going to have to learn to wait upon the Lord. Now, I want you to think with me for a minute. Did you know there's not one place in the Bible that tells you to wait for the Lord? So it doesn't matter what waiting upon the Lord mean? No. When it says wait upon the Lord, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Notice he didn't say they that wait for the Lord. He says those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Now listen with me. The difference between waiting for the Lord and waiting upon the Lord is found in the attitude with which we wait. How many of you have ever considered the magnitude of attitude? Your attitude can shoot you down or your attitude can carry you. And especially your attitude towards God. There is, there is waiting as in waiting at a bus stop. And there is waiting as in waiting on a customer in a restaurant. You can wait for something or you can wait on something. Most of us wait for God when we ought to be waiting on God. We wait on God or for God in the wrong way. We wait for God to move with our arms folded just like this. Well, I prayed, hallelujah. We're looking at our watch. Well, I prayed, man, I prayed a week ago. Where is he? We're patting our feet and we're saying, God, what is taking you so long? I've named it, claimed it, blabbed it, grabbed it. Where are you? And we wait for God, like you're at a bus stop waiting for a bus that is late. I've done everything I was told to do. Where's God? Hello, God. Have you heard me? I'm here. Hey, hey, right here. Fact of the matter is, we're not told to wait for God. We're told to wait on God. Now, this is a key, and I want you to catch this. Here's the way it really, really is when it comes down to the reality of you and me and our walk with God. God is waiting for us to wait on him. If anybody's waiting for anybody, it's God waiting for us to wait on him. 
I'm making a little play on words here, but it's so crucial. This is a big word. For or on. Because if you're waiting for God, you're eventually going to run out of your patience. You're going to say, this whole thing isn't real. And you're going to lose patience and walk off and make a big, stupid mistake. Haste makes waste. When you cease waiting on God, start waiting for God, then you've already turned the hourglass upside down because your patience isn't going to last forever. And he's probably going to do it in a way that you don't think anyway. You're looking for something he's not going to do. He may do it completely differently, so we've got to learn to wait on God. Waiting for the Lord versus waiting on the Lord is a matter of having the right attitude. Now watch this. We need to stop waiting like a customer in a restaurant for God to wait on us. We're at the table. God's the waiter. We said, hey, waiter, I told you what I'm wanting. I gave you my order. Here I am. Come on, snap to it, God. And God says, you have no idea who you're talking to. I'm God. You not. He said, you've got this thing all wrong. I'm at the table. You're waiting on me. You're serving me. And you should be saying to me, may I take your order, please? When our attitude is one of waiting on God, that means, Lord, you know what? Since I'm yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, everything I have is yours. The timing is in your hands. The way you do it is in your hands. You're God. I'm not. I'm here to serve you. And I'm just going to worship you. And I'm going to spend time in your word. And I'm going to let you talk to me. And I'm not going to demand anything. I'm going to pray for some things. But the way the outcome takes place is entirely up to you. In the meantime, I'm going to wait upon you. And I'm just going to sit here and get to know you better. I'm going to love you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to spend time in your presence. I'm waiting upon you, Lord. And I'm waiting for you to tell me what you want me to do. When we have that attitude of waiting on God with a servant's heart, trusting Him, looking to Him, delighting ourselves in fellowshipping with Him. Sometimes the reason He's not moving yet, He's waiting for you to take advantage of the time you've got to get to know Him better. Then when you do that, the word wait, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That word wait is taken from a Hebrew word that means to twist yourself around. I brought something with me. I need Matt and George up here. Would y'all come up here, Matt and George? I just want y'all to hold this chain. Just get up there. Well, let's go down here. Everybody will have to just crane their necks. You hold one end, Matt, and George, you hold the other. And those of you listening by radio, I've got them holding a chain. Hold it up high. That's God, that chain. If they tried all day long, they could not pull it and snap it. As much as they would like you to think they could, they can't. Everybody say with me, that can't be broken. Because God says, my strength never fades. Now, this string is you. Amen? This string is you. Bob, come up here real quick and just hold this string with me. Now, if me and Bob wrapped our hands around that string and pulled hard, we could break that string. 
By yourself, you are this string. On your best day, you're this string. On, in your greatest hour, you are this string. When you have your most brilliant ideas, you are still this string. We are flesh. We are frail. We are failing. We are faltering. And so if we pulled, it would snap. And you're going up Heartbreak Hill. With this, you snap. And we hear about you and we read about you. Well, they used to walk with God. Well, they used to be strong in the Lord. Well, where are they now? Well, they're off somewhere saying they don't believe anymore. They're not going to church. They're not in the Bible. What happened to them? They went up Heartbreak Hill and they snapped. But he says, they that wait upon the Lord. I'm going to come over here. Come with me, Bob. There we go. Now, I've got this string. He says, when you wait upon the Lord, you twist yourself around him. When you wait upon the Lord, you twist yourself. That's what word, the word wait means. It's a verb. It's not a noun. It means I'm waiting upon the Lord. I'm worshiping Him. I'm spending time with Him. I'm in His Word. I'm only as strong as my last time with God. And as I wait that way, spending time with Him daily, getting into His Word daily, praying daily, Though the mountains are shaken and fall into the midst of the sea, here we are waiting upon the Lord whose strength never fails. And as I do, I become as strong as the chain. I'm as strong as the chain. You can't break me because you can't break him. I'm as strong as the chain. And so the devil says, man, I've kicked them. Man, I've attacked them. Man, I've thrown everything I've got in my bag of tricks at them. And I can't break them. Why can't I break them? Because they that wait upon the Lord shall twist themselves around him and they will renew their strength. Thank you. Now, real quickly, the word renew means to exchange. Say with me, exchange. The word renew in that verse is a Hebrew word meaning to exchange. And isn't our salvation all about a divine exchange? My sin for his salvation, my poverty for his wealth, my sickness for his health. He died so I can live. He went through hell so that I can go to heaven. He took my guilt that I might have his righteousness. And he says, I can exchange my weakness for his strength. If I wait, wrap myself around twist myself around the Lord. Three quick things are going to happen to you. You're going to mount up with wings like eagles. We saw so many hawks on the way down there. And there were strong winds. One night, 55 mile an hour wind gusts. But I saw a hawk out there cruising with these incredible storms. And here's what he did. He rode the wind. He never flapped his wings just navigated 
the wind. And every time it blew harder, instead of it taking him down, it took him higher. And so he says to you and me, when you twist yourself around the Lord by relating to him, even in dark times, you are going to mount up with wings like an eagle. And when the storms roll, it's not going to take you down. It's going to take you higher, higher. Then he said, you're going to run and not be weary. Here's what that means. You're going to have the grace you need to do what you've got to do without wearing out. You're going to have the grace you need to do what you've got to do without wearing out. Because I'm waiting on the Lord. His strength is my strength. I'm as strong as he is as long as I twist myself around him. Then he said, you're going to walk and not faint. You'll have a You'll have a breakup, not a breakdown. You'll have a breakup, not a breakdown. You will burn on and not out if you wait upon the Lord. And you know when you really learn this? Heartbreak Hill. There you are on Heartbreak Hill. You're saying, how am I going to get to the top? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to navigate through this? How am I going to keep my head above water? How am I going to keep my walk with God intact? The winds and the storms of temptation are buffeting my life. These trials that surround me are pressing in on me like a vice. What? How am I going to get through this? They that wait upon... I'll tell you what you do. Turn off that stupid TV, that babble box. There ain't anything good on that thing anymore. Have you realized that yet? It is a pile of garbage. It is rot. It's gut rot. It's soul rot. It is junk food for the soul. Turn it off. Close People Magazine. Who cares about Lindsay Lohan and Jessica Simpson and Paris Hilton? They just need Jesus. I don't care what's going on in their life or their romances. (laughs) Tell you what, church, we better get our eyes on Jesus. Can you stand with me? We need to get our eyes on Jesus. What are you going to do if you wake up someday and news comes to you that there's been a bombing? What are you going to do? I hope you'll do what you're in the habit of doing. You will find the nearest prayer closet and hit your knees and say, God, talk to me. I want to pastor a people that know how to get a hold of God. Because we will be strong when everything around us is unraveling. It says, looking unto Jesus. Can you say it with me? Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. Father, we just thank you that the key to survival in tough times is waiting on the Lord. Twisting ourselves around him by spending time with him. Living in the word. Living in prayer. Now, Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name. Help us to take this.